Hey, welcome to the Per Service Podcast. This is a show about life in the performing arts. And I know that's an incredibly vague premise. Perhaps you'd like a sexier tagline about how you can make lots of money or something like that. But these conversations, I wholeheartedly believe, are making us better musicians and better people. Because we're trying to understand what makes us tick, what inspires us, and what encourages us by looking at some of the difficult topics through our lenses as classical musicians. And on today's show, we're talking about seeing the world with a little more compassion towards others and towards ourselves. Because turns out, most of us as musicians are our own worst critic. So how do we push ourselves to practice and improve without making life miserable because we're beating ourselves up? Looking outwards, how do we be supportive colleagues, encouraging friends, and positive influences at rehearsals and gigs to those around us? Empathy and self-compassion. These aren't topics that we're good at necessarily, or know a lot about. So we brought in an expert to walk through it with us. Our guest has a PhD in clinical counseling and is a lecturer at Lynn University in the School of Clinical Mental Health Counseling. She's Dr. Angie O'Giblin, and yes, she's my wife. If you're new to the show and have no idea who the rest of us are, you can learn more about us by visiting perservice.co. You might notice that this is the freelancing-related site of orchestraexcerpts.com, a site that I started to help musicians prepare excerpts for orchestra auditions. But in short, your hosts are Anna Luce, a violinist in New York City, Christian Marshall, a violist in Graz, Austria, Jessica Wiersma, a violinist in Indianapolis, and me, I'm Michael O'Giblin, and I'm a violinist in Boca Raton, Florida. One last thing, we'd like to thank Fix Music Publishing for providing the hosting for this show. For your sheet music needs, go check out fixmusic.com. A cool new section at Fix Music is their hard-to-find section. The section's not hard to find. It's the music that's in that section that's hard to find. And these are items that usually require long import times, custom printing, or are back-ordered at the publisher. But... Fix Music has them in stock and they're ready to ship. As a thank you to our listeners, if you use the promo code PERSERVICE, you'll get 10% off your order. That's PERSERVICE, just one word. Go ahead and visit fixmusic.com. That's F-I-C-K-S music.com. All right, here is the show. All right, well, we have a guest today. I, I don't know why I automatically default into my NPR voice. Well, thank you for listening to On Air with the Per Service Podcast. Right. <sighs> it is it is so sultry. Sultry, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Angie's like, this is weird. Our guest is lecturer in the clinical mental health program at Lynn University. It is none other than Dr. Angie O'Giblin, otherwise known as my wife. <laughs> Hello. Hello. And I should say, you have heard her on the podcast just through the voice of me, because basically every episode I have asked Angie for her input and her thoughts about what the podcast, uh, what we should talk about or her, her two cents worth. And so she has greatly influenced the podcast already, even if you may have not known it. Yeah. So... 
She's the smartest That's and not best. not fully accurate, but I appreciate the um, <laughs> compliment. Yes. Occasionally, I will hear my words on the podcast and joke with Michael that he forgot to mention that that was my idea, but that's okay. Um, I'm glad that it has contributed to the usefulness of the podcast. (laughs) I do think it'd be interesting to listen back to the episode with Sarah Lee, our bassoonist friend, and, and then play Angie back to back because I often get them confused in how similar you guys sound. Not in real life, I'm his wife, but in vocal tenor or some musical term I shouldn't try to use. Tambor. Tambor, I believe. Okay. We do sound very similar and have very unique voices, which is strange. And we were roommates. Fun fact. I don't know how to keep this thing on track. (laughs) I guess guess conversation. (laughs) I just wanted to say, I guess conversation killing is a Nogublin thing. Yep. Oh, Oh, ouch. Very ouch. Wasn't before I married him. Oh, burn. Okay. Oh, oh, burn. I'm going to add some ba dum well, there. That's, Way that's, to take uh, the setup on that one. That's, that's not very empathetic of you. Then. That is yeah, not. Angie. not very empathetic, which is why we're talking about empathy and self compassion because Michael has to have a lot for me and himself. And you know a lot about it. So, works out. Teamwork. <laughs> yeah. So, I guess, I mean, Really, this whole topic is not my strong suit, which is why having Angie here was uh, a good idea by my co-host. Um, I wasn't going to say that. But. <laughs> but so just maybe just to get us started, I often am confused at the difference between sympathy and empathy. Can you kind of explain a little bit what the difference is there? If you any of you are familiar with Brene Brown's work, I think you guys have mentioned her on the podcast before. Yeah, we love her. Basically, she gives a really great definition that sympathy is feeling for someone and empathy is feeling with someone. So if you think about um, empathy is really on when you're on the same level and feeling and connecting to someone's experience as where sympathy is more you're looking over the person. I'll have Michael put the video that I really use to explain this in the show notes. Can you do that? Uh, show notes page. Okay. There's a great little cartoon that explains this. but So that would be the difference between empathy and sympathy. So if we were... Talking in like terms of, for 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 example, a, an example that is uh, very r- real to me right now is I had an audition yesterday actually, and I came in second. Yeah. And uh, you know, it was just like, hey, it felt good to advance and and stuff. But I don't know. I I guess I was sort of upset with myself, or you know, with getting that close, but you know, not not winning it completely. What? Well, how would you be? I don't know. You were you were very good at being empathetic towards me. Let me give you an example of empathy versus sympathy in this situation. Yeah. Would that be helpful? That would be. Yes. Okay. So a sympathetic response would be like, well, you know, you did better than, well, this would be kind of a jerk response, but well, you did better than the last time. So look on the bright side. Um, I don't know why my <laughs> empathy verse also voice is also jerk voice, but uh, uh, that was my sympathy voice. That was your sympathy voice. Yes. My empathy voice would be, more talking about how does how are you feeling to have gotten that close? I know it's difficult. Just more assu- instead of assuming how he's feeling or pushing him to look on the bright side to just ask him. I think a big difference between responding with empathy and rep- responding with sympathy is not assuming you know how someone feels, but just asking them how they're feeling. Would you guys say that's helpful? In because I think for non musicians like me, it's hard to know the best way to respond to someone after an audition struggle. So 
I always try to ask more questions and make assumptions. Is that accurate? I think that makes sense. I wanted to, I wanted to ask you, do you think that sometimes we choose sympathy over empathy as a kind of self-defense mechanism? Like, for example, this sort of someone doesn't win an audition and rather than face my own feelings about not having won an audition or not wanting to maybe put myself in their shoes or say, let me try to kind of feel alongside of you that I say, well, like, oh, that sucks or like, sorry to hear that or, you know, sorry, that's sort of like it distances almost in a way to say like, oh, I'm sorry for you, but I'm going to leave your feelings on that side of the table and not bring them onto my side. I just I wonder why, because, you know, as artists, we're super I mean, we have a lot of feelings, we have a lot of creativity and a very rich inner life, but we must be somehow protecting that there must be something else driving us towards sympathy rather than empathy. Yes. Sympathy is much safer because you don't have to feel. Okay. When you have empathy, you have to feel with someone. Like you have to get on their level and try to understand their point of view. Technical nerdy thing. Empathy has two aspects in most research definitions. One is affective empathy or the idea of feeling what the person is feeling. And the other is perspective taking empathy, which is cognitively thinking about putting yourself in the other person's shoes. And in order to do that, we have to like fully engage ourselves. And that means that we have to deal with our own feelings and connect to something in us that connects to them. And so that's dangerous and scary and hard. So I think we choose sympathy because we can stay above it all. We don't have to get in it with someone. So excellent emotional IQ, Christian. (laughs) Uh, The cognitive empathy still sounds similar to sympathy, though, because it's like you're just you're not really engaging. No, and maybe I didn't explain it well. Cognitive empathy is this idea that you try to think like the other person is thinking, like really get in their perspective. It's also called perspective taking empathy. So it's, I think what's missing in our culture a lot, in American culture particularly, um, that we don't know how to get into someone else's perspective. Right. Like we don't know how to try to see things from their point of view. Mm-hmm. And so that's more what perspective taking or cognitive empathy is. Is also So you really have to have both your head and your heart to fully connect to someone. And so you're trying to think and understand their perspective while also feeling what they're feeling. If that makes more sense. Yeah, it does. I think it makes a lot of sense. It's so interesting because I think each of us can look back on relationships and see where someone was using sympathy when we really needed empathy, right? Like there's a, actually, I've seen that um, video clip, the little cartoon that you sent. I've seen that probably 10 times, but for some reason this time I was taken back to a place I had this friend for a long time who I like, I just couldn't put my finger on what was going on. And we were like, you know, musician friends. And it was so interesting to me that every time I would tell her something, she would like use some story that I felt like didn't relate and didn't like, she'd be like, well, that's kind of like this thing. And I'd be like, no, it's not that at all. Or when she was upset and I would try to empathize with her, she'd be like, you just don't get it. And it was so interesting to me to think back now, because I'm sure we've all had those experiences, right? Where we have not received empathy from someone and it's been, you know, it, it, uh, what's the word? Is it dis? Unvalidate? Hello? Invalidating. (laughs) Thank you. I was like, huh? But invalidates what we're feeling in that moment, right? Yes, exactly. I think when someone provides sympathy or tries to, as Brene Brown says, silver lining it, I think that's the worst because it invalidates. It makes us feel like what we're struggling with or feeling isn't accurate. Yeah. I would sort of question, is there some bit of that you can do that well, like you can say like, Hey, I've been in your shoes. I, there was this time that I blah, 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 that 
it could be done better or is it just always trying to say oh this happened to me too is always kind of patronizing or it's kind of deval what was invalidating the other person's experience what they're like currently going through <laughs> i think it depends on how you're doing it if you're doing it like christian said to kind of just like oh this feels yucky and hard uh, you know, one time I lost an audition and then I won the next one. So it'll be fine. You know, like if that's happening, it's like it feels like you're trying to say, I don't want to feel this. You shouldn't feel this either. Let's get out of here. That I think feels invalidating as where if, you know, you're like, I've been there. I've, it's hard to lose auditions. I've, you know, at least in my experience, it was a challenging time. If you let that person kind of feel what they need to feel and let them make the turn to a more positive bent i think that helps and giving them time to feel their feelings before you try to i don't know wrap it up in some sort of yeah i i think the difference that i see there in michael's example is one is saying hey i've been there me too and then the other one is saying that exact same thing hey i've been there me too and then you continue with your ending of the story and you're not letting mm, the person exactly. kind of live out their ending of the feeling so like you know, it's not our goal when we're being empathetic to direct their feelings. It's to validate them, give them room and space to kind of um, hold on there. Ah, there is a, there is one specific word I'm looking for here. Um, I often cannot think of words too, Christian. Sometimes I just have to, you know. No, stop. Wait. Stop. <laughs> I, when you did that, you almost did it. You said, I often cannot think of words too. The end. Yes. That would be a good empathy response. Yeah, I think, well, I think the word is acceptance. I think it, oh. I, yeah, so let me just say this. So like, I think um, it's letting someone validate their feelings and also accepting them, saying you're allowed to think and feel this way but I don't have to tell you what you're going to do with the feelings. And I think, I think even just alone that freedom to say like, Hey, I'm allowed to be, I'm allowed to have this post audition hangover. Even it's so funny how allowing yourself to even just feel like that cuts down the time of the hangover in half. Yes. As if you try to say, I'm not supposed to be feeling like this or someone says, no, just snap out of it. Somehow that prolongs it because you're, not giving it the the recognition it needs. And then it's funny. I, I love this idea of when you kind of acknowledge all of these feelings and give them their appropriate tension they deserve, it kind of, they regulate themselves. And then your solar system, so to say, stays in orbit. But when you pay too much attention to certain things or ignore others, they become imbalanced and then things go crazy. Yes. It's like a Chinese finger trap. If you try to pull your fingers out too fast, you get stuck Exactly. If you lean in, you can get out. Mm -hmm. Nice. Lean in. I love lean analogy. In. We're going to have some uh, merchandise on our page. We're going to have some per service <laughs> finger traps. <laughs> I think Christian was said, you know, when somebody turns it into, oh, I also experienced that when I did this or whatever. I have oftentimes found, you know, I came to somebody with a problem or with feelings that I wanted to get out. And then I end up comforting them because they've turned it into something about themselves. And then not only do I feel invalidated, but also yeah. less important. And like, it doesn't matter what I'm feeling because now their problem that happened maybe two years ago and the example that they're giving me trumps my current situation yeah, or I something. Yes. And that feels I gross. I think it dovetails into that idea of that. We also looked at with self-compassion 
um, this idea that I don't think you can give away something that you don't have. Ugh. I sorry. Know, sorry. <laughs> I, I think I need a little bit of a clearer definition or example. Like, would you say that then we give away empathy? I would say that we can't have empathy towards someone else when we don't have empathy towards ourselves. Hey, that's what we call a truth prompt. Right. Now, some people would disagree with me, because, but I, I think you can fake empathy, but yeah. I don't think you can fully show up yeah, to a very oh, minimal okay. degree. Yeah. Um, but I don't think you can fully show up and enter into somebody's pain unless you are okay with your own. Preach, sister. Oof. It's hard to hear, but it's so true. Is, is, <clears throat> this is how I feel. <laughs> I don't know if I don't, I'm not trying to play devil's advocate. But no, it's okay. That's what this I is know, for. I know plenty of people who they've acknowledged their pain and have worked through their pain, but that doesn't mean they're free from their pain. Right. I think that's also a, a tricky thing to balance. I remember, especially being as a, a younger musician, I would say early 20s or whatever, when yeah, there are just plenty of things you still haven't experienced. And for lack of a better word, you're vulnerable or a little bit naive. And you, yeah, you start to look for advice or, you know, even through subconscious mentors, people in your field that you really respect. And you listen to them speak and, you know, they might speak with wisdom and it might sound like they really understand where you're coming from. But who knows if they're jaded or they have a, a chip on their shoulder from something that's made them bitter in, in the music world that even though they're speaking with this wisdom that all, you know, word for word sounds right, but it's, it's not coming from a place of, of peace. Is, is this a type of faking it that you're talking about or? Um, sort of, I would say, well, one, just because you still have pain or like to me that the way to do empathy is to like be present in your pain, not necessarily it be resolved. Um, okay. and so that's number one, like that you don't have to have perfect, like self-compassion. Like I can only love others if I fully love myself. I don't, I say progress, not perfection. Right. And so to me, there's a, there's an aspect of I'm working on extending empathy to myself as I extend it to others. So that's one piece. But I would say from like the jaded perspective, you, I think it's always wise to, okay, this person feels like they get me, but are they really getting me? Or are they like getting something for themselves because what i hear in that example tell me if this is wrong is like oh uh, yeah i get it man like and that sorry that was lame but <laughs> like i get it and but i get it and you're feeding into like my negative cycle and so it's not i'm helping you process what you're feeling and like think through it or it's i'm using your emotions to support my negative perceptions exactly yeah or or using this aspect of them not getting me, but getting a, a younger version of themselves, right? As if they were talking to themselves of 20 years ago. And they're ah. almost like, yeah, I think it's this negative energy loop. And it's kind of, you know, telling themselves what they would have wanted to hear. And but don't, I think there's a difference between being bitter and like, I feel like bitterness, you can start hearing and like seeing how that taints people as opposed to someone who can't fully empathize well i don't well, know may, well maybe maybe bitterness is one of those things just in the same way how 
how we talked about telling someone that you you understand what they're going through, you feel alongside of them, and then you want to finish their feelings for them or tell them how it goes. That's probably what, what bitterness also wants to make you do as well, right? You know, how dare someone be going through a similar situation and then have it turn out well for them? Because for me, it didn't turn yeah, out well. Like foreclose. So I'm not going to let them think it can turn out well. Isn't that the crux of a lot of like music people interactions? I think that's maybe even the point of this this episode. Yeah. Because I do feel like we are so bad at being empathetic to other people like at our at the same audition as us or whatever. You know, it's so interesting to me because we always have our goals at the forefront of our brains. I think it's really hard for us to see other people's goals and validate them as humans. Because if we haven't done well, you know, like why are they allowed to do well? You know? Yeah. I mean, yeah, it takes a, it takes a lot of grace and courtesy to say congratulations to the person that, that beat you or whatever, or also humility, which I feel as not just musicians, but maybe as a culture, we're not good at humility. No, we're not. Which I think humility, you tell me if this is totally wrong, but I think you need a, a, a level of humility or a an amount of humility to be able to be empathetic. Yes, I would agree with that. To know that like my perspective isn't the only perspective. I think that's what you need humility for with empathy. But this also ties back to that idea of self-compassion that when I can, yes. li- when I can <laughs> comfort my when I can confront my own failures and know that that doesn't define me as a person, then I can congratulate Mm -hmm. someone else's success because I know that just because my failure doesn't mean doesn't speak to my worth as a person. So then I'm, I'm solid as a person. So then I can engage with other people. But if I'm shaking as a, like my personhood is shaking, I can't look at someone else's success and be okay with it. Does that make sense? Yes. Jess is literally clutching her heart. Sorry. Also, just yeah, tying me to the car. Well, Angie, Sorry. so how no, how do we as great. as broken failed musicians uh, conjure self compassion in this climate that we've created over the last hundred years or whatever of you know constant striving for constant perfection and then feeling like we failed and we don't win an audition? So like we've created this unnatural environment for ourselves, right? And so it, I feel like it is extra hard to have love for ourselves when we've literally been told and it feels like if you don't win this audition, you don't have a job and you thought you would by now, you're a failure. Yeah. I think one acknowledging that this system is madness. Like, is that okay for me to say? Like this is... Yes, it really is because it is madness. It's a wretched system. It eliminates the holistic person. It eliminates so much of other work that you've done and who you are. And like it puts... It's so intense on this like one five minute performance that it's no wonder that you guys struggle with tying that to your worth. Like it, it, it's set up for you to do that. And so number one, acknowledging that the system is crazy and I'm not supposed to use that word as a therapist, but that's the word I'm going to use. So it's just an, so acknowledging that your struggle with this is normal because of the system that you're in. I think helps like what I call beating ourselves with a should stick. Like, well, I shouldn't feel this way. I know I shouldn't tie my worth to my performance. Like stop beating yourself with a should stick. This is Angie also (laughs) says you're just shooting all over yourself. (laughs) Don't shoot all over yourself. Um, So so good. Acknowledging it. it, It's uh, it's not mine, but I stole it from, I don't know who and use it frequently, but um, knowing that don't feel guilty about the fact that you struggle with tying your worth to your performance because it's what your field tells you to do. Right. 
And so one acknowledging that it's okay that this is my struggle. And that I think really it's again, the finger trap idea when we lean into, I don't have to feel bad about struggling with this. It gives you a lot more space to give yourself some grace. I think. Cool. Anna, can I read what you sent me this morning? Sure. Okay. Cause I feel like this ties into what Angie said. I don't know yeah. what this is from because Anna sent it to me. Oh so no, this it's, is... it's from the self-compassion book. So my best friend oh, who, who just also knows is actually, I need Angie and Sarah Claire to be friends. So get it together. You guys, she's getting a counseling degree also, and she's been preaching the self-compassion book to me, but it still hasn't really set in yet. So I'm hoping this episode helps, but yeah, she sent us an excerpt that really applies to, um, our field for sure. Setting high standards for yourself can be a productive and healthy trait, but when your entire sense of self-worth is based on being productive and successful, when failure is simply not allowed, then the striving to achieve becomes tyrannical and counterproductive. Research indicates that perfectionists are at a much greater risk for eating disorders, anxiety, depression, and a whole host of other psychological problems. Yikes. And I feel like musicians, I feel like there's so much perfectionism set up. I think it's somewhat self-imposed. And then also what Angie was just saying, it's kind of set up to make us perfectionists if you weren't already or if you had the traits that might lean you towards that. And then I feel like this field somewhat sets you up for that in an audition setting of specifically um, to be perfectionist. I would agree. I also have a lot of do a lot of research on perfectionism because these things go hand in hand. Yes. And one thing I think, Michael, I hope you can edit this if this is not OK. But one thing I hear a lot from Michael is if I'm not hard on myself, then I'm going to never practice and I'm going to like fall into this oblivion of a terrible musician. That's dramatized. But there's this like I have to be hard on myself in order to be successful. And the question I always have that I don't always ask because I don't feel like it's sympathetic is, is that the only way? You know, it's interesting because I have been told by numerous teachers, you have to be hard on yourself because everyone else is going to be hard on you. Well, right. I think a lot of it stems Mm. from what we're told when we're younger, Mm. too, because I don't know about you guys, but I had a teacher at my very like at the point at which I decided I wanted to be a musician who said, hey, check your emotions at the door. Nobody cares about what's going on in your personal life. You need to come across as an excellent musician. And so I think like those two things paired together, it's a recipe for disaster, right? Because then the musicians aren't. (laughs) I, I feel like and this is broad brushing, of course, but I do feel like the performing arts is is a type of lifestyle that allows you to put all of your sadness and all of your joy as well into the music and not actually process it healthfully in your brain. So that's why a lot of musicians and performers turn to drugs, honestly, and, you know, like need coping mechanisms, right? Yeah. So I I think that we've been told things probably from pretty early on in our developmental, in the developmental stages of our brain that have influenced all of this as well, right? Yeah, I mean, I I feel like there are so many sayings that we grew up with that are, you know, the like, you know, if you're not practicing, somebody else is. And, uh, (laughs) (laughs) you know... um, These give me anxiety just hearing them. Sure. Well, which is is why, you know, this is not my strong suit is because in my head, I got where I am because I was hard on myself or I I got to a level of proficiency because... I realized I was not good. And so I was just, you know, years and decades of just find the problem, like record yourself and look for the problem and then, you know, try to fix it. And I guess it's, it's hard 
to not for this whole conversation to not sound like just accept your mistakes. And if you're not very good, it's okay. That's not exactly what I'm trying to say. Not at all what I'm saying. (laughs) (laughs) But I hear it. I think it's the exact the exact middle between those two. Um, You know, we say you have to wordly work hard um, if you want to get anywhere. And you just said, you know, you you got to the level you're at because you worked hard. Well, I think there are some inevitable truths like let's take something outside of music, sports or or stretching. Okay, like if you don't stretch, you will not get more flexible, period. You know, that's like a, a truth. But whether or not someone's stretches consistently like once they get their splits or whatever they're not gonna say oh i got my splits because i was so hard on myself no they got their splits because they stretched consistently you got to the level you're at michael because you practiced consistently and i think that's an interesting mindset you know it's like it's not that someone was you know hellbent on becoming a soloist no the the being hellbent on the soloist kept them consistent in their practicing and got them to that level that being said, you know, there's also this this big saying, you know, quality over quantity, which is true. There are plenty of people who have put in the amount of work but not done as good of work, so they're not as far along as somebody else. And I think the downside to that of saying, oh, you don't have to be hard on yourself. It's okay the way it is, is, well, then you can't expect to reach a certain level because you've not done the appropriate amount of repetitions or the work. And so I think it's really being careful about how am I choosing to look at my hard work? Am I looking at it as a difficult task that I've slaved away at with this sort of emotion? Or am I looking at it as something that I don't really care about? Or am I, can I look at it neutrally and say, hey, I, I did the work that was needed and I don't have to, you know, apply my emotions or my self-worth to Good. That. I think I don't want to, in my other favorite phrase, throw the baby out with the bathwater that Self-compassion doesn't mean I make mistakes and I can just do whatever I want and it's okay. Self-compassion means I love myself and my mistakes and I use that positive energy that I'm giving myself to propel myself forward. So I I make decisions about working harder or making changes out of a place of I care about myself and my work and I want to be a better version of myself because I love myself and I love the people around me and I love my profession or my craft. And so therefore I want to take that positive energy and put it back into my work and propel me forward. Does that sort of help a little? It's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. To I have take a question in. that I would love to hear too on along those lines from you guys and from the readers, maybe as a call to action is, is there a better way than this self task mastering, guilt, shame, I should always be doing more way, like to approach growth and success as a musician. I'm really wondering that myself, because I do feel like, you know, Christian, you said the thing about consistency and looking back. Yes, I was consistent, even though I don't feel like that's something I have in my life now. And, and I know that to be consistent, I have to beat myself up to get there. And like you're saying, Andy, what, I mean, do you have ideas for us about a better way? Because I would love a better way. (laughs) Well, I mean, I have general ideas and I think this is something that could be continued too in the comment section and in like a, I don't know how you do this, but like a continued conversation in your community about what does this look like? I think that we use shame and guilt as a motivator because it's what we know and it's what our culture shows us, but I don't think it's our best option. Yep. I think we have to really reflect on why am I doing what I'm doing? 
So for in your example, like I don't have consistency in practicing. Okay. Instead of just shooting myself into, I don't, and I should darn it. Right. Why? Like what's going on in you that is making you not want to practice and don't jump to, well, it's cause I blah, blah, blah. Don't jump to the negative self. Jump to what is like, have I lost connection with my goals? Have I lost connection with, I don't know, maybe this is too cheesy and not applicable, but loving my music. Have I lost connection to what intrinsically motivates me to be a better musician? And where is that? Cause it's lost. Ooh, yep. You're right on the money. Okay. Um, I, <laughs> I, mean, I, I do. <laughs> I tread lightly cause I'm not a musician. So I just, I no. offer possibilities and then let you guys tell me if that's accurate or not. Well, Honestly, because our brains are in like this tunnel and we're all used to it and we're all in it together. I mean, some people dare to think outside of the box. Like I do feel like Christian, I I think that you strive to think differently than the rest of us. And I appreciate that about you. Even though like sometimes I'm annoyed because I'm like, why didn't I have that idea? But, but I do think like, Anna, you you should have better ideas than that. Stop it. I should have better ideas. No, but I do think we're used to this tunnel thing and we don't challenge you know, the norm. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a real problem because for me, I'm like, well, I think ultimately I'm afraid of failure and I've got some shame. So like, I'm not even going to try anymore. Mm -hmm. Yep. And I mean, like recap, you know, even regardless of whether or not that's true, that is definitely what's been keeping me behind. And the shooting will just increase the shame. It's a, it's a vicious cycle. Right. And so if shame is what's ultimate and fear is ultimately what's keeping you from practicing, then shooting yourself into feeling crappy about practicing, not practicing is just going to make it worse. And even if you do practice, you're going to, it's just bad energy as Christian said. Yeah. So how do you reframe that? Going back to what Angie was saying about ask yourself those questions of, have you lost connection to your goal? Have you lost connection to your music? I sometimes think for the most part, you make the decision to be a musician fairly young, whether or not you decide at the age of five, this is what you want to do. Mm-hmm. usually you're, you're, you might be already playing at the age of five or, you know, at least studying. And so like, even if you're in high school, when you make the decision that, okay, I'm going to give this a shot. That was a long time ago. And you were a different person then mm. quite yeah. literally, like your brain was That's not good, yeah. yes. formed. Yeah. You're not fully formed <laughs> until 25. Like, yeah. Like you may have to redefine so that. Maybe we need to reevaluate. What is that relationship now? Excellent point, Jess. It can just be very scary to be like, I've dedicated this much time and energy and life to this craft. And then if you want to make a career change, which is so fine and so good, but that can just be really scary because you feel like you're behind. So then you're like, ooh, should I really go back to try something else at this age? Um, no, I definitely feel that. That's like, I've I've come this far and I've made it this far. Also, I'm not saying that this is what everybody... Is actually well, well like, no, but actually reevaluate. No, but I, I, mean, I think you should reevaluate. I'm not saying that means that you should quit. <laughs> well, right. I think, I think you that's need important. to reevaluate your goals and what you actually want. Now, the more you know as you get older and the more life experience you have, sometimes maybe your goals change and you just aren't aware of that. Yeah. Or maybe your goals change and you're afraid to admit that. Because you might think others will think poorly of you. Or maybe your goals are changing just because you're getting older. And so you feel like you might have to let a dream die or something. And then you need to grieve that. And that's really scary and sad sometimes. Yeah. Well, I have I have actually a very current example of I think both I think both of these possibly. So I had the chance to 
connect with two friends that are both members of a top five orchestra. And so really, you know, amazing musicians, love them both. And I was hanging out with one of them and uh, she asked me what I was up to and how things were going. And she says, oh, you're still doing this, you know, um, leading this ensemble, organizing these concerts. I said, oh, no, I stopped. The time was the time was right to leave that. And then she's like, oh, OK. And and I said, and yeah, and I also um, stepped out of this orchestra I was in. Things were not going well. And I explained the whole story why I left. And then she goes, wow, there go two streams of income. Ah. <laughs> and I was like, wow. Like, because, you know, my whole thing about telling the story was all about how I was feeling during it and choosing to, to let those projects go and turn to ones that brought me more joy. Money had zero, like was not in this story, not in my mind, not in my feelings. And then someone's like, there go two streams of income. And it was, and it was so funny. And I like then just started asking her questions and never once turned the conversation back to me because I felt like that I wasn't being understood. Kind of my reasons for maybe not wanting to play in an ensemble anymore were invalidated. Yeah, an excellent example of lack of perspective taking empathy. She didn't understand your perspective at all. Yeah, and then this other person was hanging out with him and talking a lot about side hobbies that we have and really investing in them and one of his major hobbies is writing and he takes it really seriously and is, is working on a book and he knows that I'm a writer. And so we, we share a whole lot about that. And we were talking about, I have a book coming out in just a couple of weeks. Heck yeah. I'll talk more about it in the outro. Cool. Yeah. Cool. And, uh, yeah. And then I, I really wanted to ask him and I said, you know, Hey friend, if you could, like if you had money coming from somewhere else, like, would you, leave your orchestra, you know, this like orchestra that so many people would die, die for, you know, to play in or kill for or whatever. And he was like, man, I've thought a lot about that. And, and I, I'm, I don't want to give his answer, but it was this automatic empathy, this automatic understanding my reasons for doing things and, and not wanting to finish my story for me. And I think that was so good because what I felt is I felt recognized and acknowledged as a person and, and the, and especially the feelings I have as a person and why I would want to do something or more importantly, not want to do something or not want to continue doing something. And I think that's this hidden gem of empathy is that the acknowledgement, it gives the other person to saying, hey, like your feelings are OK, too. Like you're allowed to have them and there's no judgment or worth placed on them. You know, because so often it's like, oh, I shouldn't have, the, I feel this way and I shouldn't. I feel this way and I don't want to. Shouldn't yourself, right? What do you say, Andy? <laughs> there you don't go. Shit all over yourself. Yeah, don't shit all over yourself. Um, there you go. Well, and just to bring that all back to, like, I think this idea of how do we, how do we have a better way for talking to ourselves, right? Like Christian gave a great example of someone who he appreciated the way he talked to him. And one thing that a friend of mine used to say to me, she was also a therapist and she would say, Hey, if I was like being self-deprecating, she would say, stop talking to my friend like that. <laughs> I don't like when people talk to my friend like that. And I was like, ha ah! similar to Jess's earlier noises. I was feeling loved and convicted all at the same yeah. time. Yeah. That's what Sarah Claire says to me. She's like, don't talk about my best friend that way. <laughs> like, uh, ah. so, okay. And so it's like, as cheesy as that is, it's like, I think there's something to, if we stopped and asked ourselves, if someone else was talking to us this way, would we still be around? Yeah, them? girl. Yeah. Like, would we still tolerate them yeah, in our you know, life? I was actually 
thinking about that in a slightly different way um, recently. I was like, if I spoke to my students the way I speak to myself, like their parents would not allow them to work with me because <laughs> it's like abusive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's, I don't practice what I preach here, just so you know, I'm feeling mildly hypocritical in this moment, but I um, think that it's good to think these things through and might be some good things for your listeners to kind of process. How are they talking to themselves? Are they giving themselves empathy? Do they give people around them empathy? Those Why types? don't we do that now? Because I think it's about time to wrap things up anyways. So can you just maybe restate some of those things that you were just saying? Uh, some questions for uh, takeaway questions that our listeners can uh, really go through themselves and think about uh, empathy and self-compassion. I would say one, um, within yourself, do you struggle with kind of shooting all over yourself, so to speak? And do you struggle with kind of that's guilt and kind of self-criticism? I think you guys talked a little bit about that last week, right? Yeah. Wow, about that. you really listen to our podcast? <laughs> yes, that's episode 33 about negative thoughts. Um, and so I would think just asking yourself, how do you speak to yourself? Do you give empathy and self-compassion to yourself? Is there a better way to motivate yourself? are you motivating yourself in a way that contributes to your health and good energy? And if you're not, what are your, what are other options? Maybe talking to people that you feel like do this really well, looking at people that you respect, like even celebrities, if you don't have anyone in your life, like Brene Brown seems to work really hard, but she also seems to have healthy self-compassion. So how, what, what are people like that doing? Number one. And then for empathy, I would say looking at, do you feel that you're able to take the perspective of other people and feel with them? Do you feel like you're doing that in your relationships? Do you feel like you have that quality of connection in your relationships that you want? And if not, what aspects of you yourself do you want to work on as far as either cognitively thinking about the other person's perspective or do you feel like you can do that but when it comes to entering into the emotions that feels uncomfortable cool thanks so helpful? much angie yeah it's been really awesome i feel like we've just scratched the surface and i want to like sit with you for hours and talk about this <laughs> <laughs> i was really like i don't know about this i don't feel like because i just feel like there's so much about the musician world that's different that i wanted to make sure it was applicable you know oh i think it has been <laughs> all right i'm michael giblin i'm anna luce i'm jessica weersma i'm christian marshall and i'm angio giblin <laughs> empathy well, that is our show, folks. Again, a big thank you to Dr. Angie O'Giblin for joining us today. Oof, I have a lot to think about after that conversation. And if there's one thing I could encourage you to do, it would be to go check out the show notes page at perservice.co slash 34 and watch just that like two minute cartoon about empathy versus sympathy by Brene Brown. I think it's really powerful and something that I've been thinking about whenever I interact with other humans. And we would love to hear from you. If this podcast has been enjoyable or helpful to you, would you just help us out and leave us a rating or a review in iTunes like this, dear listener? And Cole78 wrote, I tune in because these guys are really entertaining and I always wish I could jump into the conversation. There are frustrations, highs and lows, but in the end, this show reminds me of why we do what we do. The music is great, and we can't see ourselves living any other way. Lots of practical advice for all facets of a classical music career, too. 
Oh, thank you so much, and Cole seventy eight. It really just means so much to us, and I wish that you could jump into the conversation too. Well, we'll have to figure out how to make that happen. Uh, and there are also some amazing people behind the scenes who support our work on Patreon, and we'd like to thank Siri Bloom, Kathleen Lavengood, Sarah Lee, and Anne Brigham for their generosity and unwavering support even through these ups and downs like I've been having the last few weeks and just haven't been able to keep up with publishing schedule. So thank you again for your support. And if you would like to be a supporter of the show, just search for our show on patreon.com. And of course, a link for that is in the show notes page per service.co slash 34. One last thought from our empathy hero, Brene Brown. She writes, Self-compassion is key because when we're able to be gentle with ourselves in the midst of shame, we're more likely to reach out, connect, and experience empathy. Mm, So good. Well, until next time, be well and practice well. Uh, Michael just left. Um... So I don't know what to do here, but he went to deal with. Okay, so we can. Do we continue and like leave little treats for him to edit out later? Like fart. Yep. Yep. You got it.